The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. The causes of autism, schizophrenia, and depression have long been mysterious, but there's a growing body of evidence that preventable infections in pregnant women are a significant risk factor for developing these conditions. Illnesses like the flu and even ones as benign-seeming as bladder infections seem to increase the risk of such diseases. Our guest today, Paul H. Patterson, is here to talk about the implication of these new discoveries in the ways the immune system and the brain interact. Paul Patterson is a developmental neurobiologist, professor of biological sciences at the California Institute of Technology, and a research professor of neurological surgery at the University of Southern California. He's the co-author of the book, The Origins of Schizophrenia, and is here today to talk about his newest book, Infectious Behavior, Brain Immune Connections in Autism, Schizophrenia, and Depression. Welcome to Health Watch, Paul Patterson. Pleasure to be here. You, you mentioned it in infectious behavior, Paul, that uh, when you speak in other countries uh, at, sci- at scientific conventions, you uh, often get uh, requests to be on the radio, on television, and people seem eager to make the leap between the scientific research and public health education. But people aren't doing that here in the United States, you note, in the book. Why do you think that some of this research around possible modifiable behavior and prevention for some of these serious illnesses isn't, isn't happening in the United States? I think it's, um, I think it's not that the public is, is not interested. I think the public is, is very hungry for uh, health-related news. I think the journalism tends to be more focused on uh, politics and other issues rather than health-related issues. I think that's my take on it. Well, uh, just recently, I think there was a, in the news just in the last couple of weeks a, a Danish study results on mm-hmm. fever and autism risk in pregnancy. Can, t- tell us a little bit about let's let's start with the flu and tell us a little bit about some of the um, the latest research that's coming out with regards to uh, getting maternal infections and in autism. Yeah, the um, <clears throat> that was a paper um, uh, fairly recently showing a. Uh, risk for increased uh, possibility of autism in the offspring if a woman has influenza during pregnancy. That followed up on a study they did uh, a year ago. They published a year ago before that showing uh, a similar kind of finding that is uh, any kind of viral infection during first trimester increased the risk for autism in the offspring. And that isn't the only study like that. There's another study in uh, Sweden uh, that's coming out soon that'll show something very similar to that. And those were preceded by um, multiple studies on schizophrenia risk, which showed that flu or other infections, basically any kind of infection during pregnancy, increased the risk for schizophrenia in the offspring about three to seven-fold. And when you have the infection uh, during your pregnancy actually determines whether it's an increased risk of autism versus an increased risk of schizophrenia. I would think that, yeah, the timing during gestation would have an influence. I also think that 
uh, it's very, very likely that the uh, genome background of the uh, woman or the fetus could play a role that is how susceptible they are to the uh, inflammation. And the third, the third factor would uh, be the intensity of the of the mother's response to infection. So, uh, you know, if her response is very dramatically strong, if she gets a high fever for a long period of time, that would presumably influence the extent of the risk and possibly the uh, kind of risk that you would have. So I think the genome background, the genomic background of the person, the intensity of infection, and the timing are all factors that are likely to play a role. Which would explain why, obviously, most women who, who get fevers during pregnancy don't have offspring that develop either of those conditions. Yeah, that's right. That's a very, very important point to make, yes. The, the, it's a small, <clears throat> very small minority uh, that, would, that this would affect. That is, the increase is very significant, three to seven-fold, but still, it's only a small minority of uh, kids that would come out, that would develop these disorders. If we were to flip that question around and, and look at people who do have schizophrenia, for instance, is, is there any estimate on what percentage of people with schizophrenia probably developed it because of um, infections during pregnancy? Uh, that's a good question. Um, there's a very interesting study by uh, Alan Brown at Columbia and his colleagues um, that compared the uh, people with schizophrenia, compared those <clears throat> that were born to a mother who had an infection during pregnancy and those that were born to a mother who apparently didn't have an infection. And they found, <clears throat> they found some differences in the type of schizophrenia that they had and some differences in the uh, MRI findings, that is the structure of the brain. But they didn't <clears throat> tell us, the study didn't tell us what the, uh, the total fraction was, as I recall. So, uh, and is that also true with, with autism, that we don't really have a sense of what proportion of, of autism cases are caused by maternal infection? No, we don't. We don't have a firm answer on that. We just know that the increase is something like two to three-fold. So it goes from a 1% chance to a 2 or 3% chance. So. Well, the the fa the compelling thing about this these this research to me seems to be that we have these diseases that it looks like their causes are are sh shrouded somewhat in mystery and also seem to be multifactorial. That mm -hmm. if we have this one piece that has a preventable aspect to it, um, whether it be vaccination or or maybe not traveling in planes in your first trimester, if you're concerned, um, different ways to avoid exposure to mm -hmm. to viruses seems like that could actually potentially lower the risk of some of these diseases. Yeah, I think that's really important, a really important message, which is why I'm happy to talk with you today. I mean, it's a really important message to get out there that these these uh, infections that we're talking about, um, <clears throat> they can't totally be prevented, but the uh, risk for getting an infection during pregnancy can be lowered significantly by commonplace uh methods that we're actually all aware of but we don't do, like constant washing of hands 
you know, after uh, going to the store, or getting gas at the gas station, or shaking hands with people, or not visiting relatives who have a cold or the flu, uh, getting vaccinated before the flu season, um, wearing a mask on on a plane, for instance, during pregnancy, or not changing the cat litter uh, because of the risk for toxoplasma infection during pregnancy. And so I think these, these are all just common sense things that we're all aware of, but we don't take seriously enough, and that's because I think people aren't aware of the risk factor. You know, <clears throat> Alan Brown has also made a calculation that um, if, if one could prevent all, all forms of infection, which, of course, is impractical, but if one could do it, you would lower the rate of schizophrenia uh, by about 30% or so. So very significant fraction if you could lower the whole, if you could prevent all these infections. We're talking today with Paul Patterson about his book, Infectious Behavior, Brain Immune Connections in Autism, Schizophrenia, and Depression. You you have a really fascinating part in this book about the Spanish flu of 1918 and Mm. how if you follow the the offspring of pregnant women during the flu epidemic, um, they, the offspring not only had an increase in some of these mental illnesses we're discussing, but also had uh, an increase in diabetes and cardiovascular disease later in their lives, which really brings to the forefront this idea of the fetal origin of adult diseases, right. which you you talk a lot about in infectious behavior. Uh, could you could you tell us a little bit more about s- some of the other research that's coming out around adult risk based on uh, fetal exposure? Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of epidemiology now on that question, and it's based in part on the original... <clears throat> original findings of Alan Barker, uh, who pointed out that babies who are born um, small for their gestational age have an increased risk for those disorders, heart disease, uh, uh, diabetes, and so on, as adults. And that could reflect either an infection during pregnancy, it could re- reflect uh, poor nutrition during pregnancy, uh, a number of other factors. So uh, it isn't just, he's saying it isn't just, you know, high cholesterol or eating too much fatty food and so on. It also had to do with the experience of the fetus during gestation that was important. And I think another factor that's come to the fore recently is obesity uh, maternal obesity um, can uh, be a risk for some of these mental disorders also. And that fits into the uh, inflammation idea because obesity uh, does increase inflammation. It, 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 ha- it involves an uh, inflammatory state in the body as a whole because the fat is producing what are called cytokines, inflammatory cytokines, which induce this inflammatory state. So there's a sort of systemic or body-wide effect of nutrition and obesity that we have to take into account, especially during pregnancy. Well, that also reminds me of the, the theory that you bring up in infectious behavior called the diet mismatch theory, where, um, 
children who eat similar to the way their mothers ate when they were pregnant with them have less adult disease than those who eat an extremely different diet, which seems so bizarre to me, <laughs> but also, I mean, fascinating. But I wonder, like, if your if your mother was eating uh, a really poor diet, it would still seem like eating a healthy diet as an adult would be better for you than eating the way your mother did. I think, yeah, it has more to do with um, uh, the fetus being prepared to live in the world that that the mother is in. So if the mother's um, if the mother is um, has a diet that uh, let's say is uh, poor in um, protein, the fetus gets prepared to live in a world like that. Uh, that is a sort of malnutrition type of of world, uh, and the converse is also true. And I think there's some studies in diabetes that suggest that maternal diabetes also prepares the fetus for that kind of situation which which could be healthy or not healthy for the for the offspring you know it could be unhealthy as you're suggesting as well depending on uh, if if the baby is born and then enters a world which is quite different than the mother's has prepared it for um that can be a conflict yeah well, you mentioned inf- with obesity, inflammation, and and immune response, and that was a very interesting um, thing in in your book. Also, was that it may not actually be so much the organism itself, the the specific type of virus it is mm. that causes the risk of schizophrenia or depression or autism to go up, but more how strong of an immune response and how much inflammation is caused by the presence of it rather than the virus itself. Am I, am I stating that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's especially, uh, the evidence is especially impressive for schizophrenia where they've studied the effects of viral infection, bacterial infection, and parasite infection, and all three of those increase risk for schizophrenia in the offspring. The epidemiology in autism is a little a little bit behind. It is there isn't as much of it, but uh, so far it looks like viral infection is also a risk there. But I suspect it'll it could turn out to be a similar broad effect. And, so, so do you see improvement in um, in symptomology for schizophrenics and autistic children when they're on anti-inflammatories, for instance, or on uh, medications or supplements that that um, help modulate the immune response? Well, in the case of schizophrenia, there's some um, clinical work has been done and has reported some positive effects of anti-inflammatories of particular kinds uh, on schizophrenic symptoms in adults. There's only one small study so far in autism, and it's not... um, it's not that impressive. It's very small, and uh, I don't think it's very conclusive. But I know there are several clinical trials that are, uh, are about to start or have started on autism using anti-inflammatory treatments. Uh, those People can find those on uh, a website called clinicaltrials.gov. There's a lot of those trials have started up. <clears throat> so we'll know in a few years... What the whether they're promising or not, we don't really know at present. 
is it the same pathway that um, would cause inflammation and a, a immune response with the presence of a virus that might do the same with uh, food allergies? And I want the reason I ask that is I know a lot of people with autistic kids will take their kids off of gluten and anecdotally report um, improvement in behaviors. Is that is there any credibility from a scientific perspective that that could be a pro-inflammatory food? Uh, food allergen that would actually improve your mental functioning if it was removed? Yeah, there's several possibilities there. There's several ways of looking at that, um, the diet effects. One way is that um, <clears throat> the gut uh, in the child, the, the child's gastrointestinal tract might be especially sensitive to food allergens. Um <clears throat> Another way of looking at it is that uh, perhaps the child has antibodies against those food allergens already, uh, which possibly could be actually inherited from the mother's side. Um, so you could induce inflammation in the gut by uh, in a sensitive individual by the wrong kinds of food allergens. And... This can also change the composition of the microbiome in the gut. That is, the community of bacteria that normally live in the gut can be changed by what you eat and uh, certainly can be changed by inflammation. And there's a, a couple of studies that have very striking evidence that uh, a majority of autistic kids that they studied have what's called leaky gut. That is, they have a... Um, increased permeability of the barrier that normally protects from the from the uh, composition of the gut, doesn't let it get into the bloodstream, and this is diminished, that barrier is diminished in autistic kids. So that has led to the idea that um, if you have a leaky gut, maybe food allergens are actually entering into the blood and they're making antibodies against them. And... Uh, there's plenty of evidence from a variety of uh, diseases that that antibodies against microbes like viruses um, can cross-react occasionally with the body's own uh, proteins and own antigens, and that can lead to big problems. Um, antibodies against your own nervous system, for instance, are, are a big problem in multiple sclerosis, and such kinds of antibodies have actually been described in autism as well. In case you just tuned in, we're talking to Paul H. Patterson, the author of Infectious Behavior, Brain Immune Connections in Autism, Schizophrenia, and Depression. Paul, I also read it recently of a study that came out around um, the age of the father when uh, a couple conceives and the risk of autism and schizophrenia. So uh, the older the father is, the higher the risk. And I know your book focuses um, primarily on the maternal fetal environment. Do you have any thoughts on on the paternal aspect of the equation and, and how the, the father's age, for instance, played a role? Well, the thinking is that uh, the older you get, the more mutations you have, and so his sperm would be um, taking on more and more mutations. Uh, that is, the cells that give rise to the sperm would be taking on more and more mutations, and 
that would uh, increase the risk for problems. That wouldn't <clears throat> that age factor, that particular age factor of mutations wouldn't apply to the the woman because her eggs were um, produced earlier on and um, presumably don't have increased mutation as she ages. So that's and, and we know genetics is important in autism. So um, that would wouldn't be necessarily surprising that finding. That's interesting. I think that your book gives a, a definitely a sense of optimism in the sense that it seems like ten years ago people were just focusing on genetics with these conditions, mm -hmm. and and now we're seeing that it's definitely an environmental genetic interplay, and that there right. are modifiable risk factors. Right. That's right. That's a that's a major advance in our thinking it seems to me uh, previously it was it was autism was called a genetic disease as if it was something that was transmitted absolutely uh the thinking now is that <clears throat> mutations cause something like 10 to 20 percent of autistic cases and and at the beginning of your book you you talk about the history of some of the study of of schizophrenia and how people would observe that when schizophrenics and I think also autistic children ha had fevers and were ill, that their symptoms would improve temporarily, mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting from the sense that the disease coming from a state of being in in a fever and a state of inflammation and, and stimulated immune system, when that happens to the the uh, adult or the child that ha then has the disease, they actually see an improvement in symptoms. That what what's going on there? Well, there's there's two ways of thinking about it. I think um, it comes out of a small study in the autism uh, case, at least a small study providing evidence that some of the symptoms of autism were uh, diminished during the period of fever in the child. And one way of thinking about that is it's just the heat, the the fever heats up the brain, and it's well known that. Uh, nerve cells conduct their uh, their action potentials. They're, they fire more more readily at a higher temperature, and so that during the period of the fever, perhaps the uh, wiring of the brain is altered by this firing difference. Another way of the second way of looking at this fever effect is that um, these. You have a, you start as you said starts with a the child starts with a uh, immune dysregulation or imbalance, and then the cold or the infection <clears throat> that accompanies that starts the fever going is changing that balance further, and perhaps it changes it in a in a good direction rather than a bad direction as it normally would. So those are two ways of thinking about it. Uh, and right now there's not enough evidence to decide between them, but my my own opinion is that the, the second possibility seems more likely to me, that the uh, you start with an imbalance and then you perturb it more with uh, inflammation, and then that uh, might move it in a more correct direction. It's it, only temporary, of course. Once the child gets over the cold, the symptoms return. Which, I mean, we learned in a tragic way because of the studies where they were intentionally giving schizophrenics malaria to see if that was going to cure them 100 years ago. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting uh, as a historical. <laughs> Looking back, um, it was such a 
such a strange uh, experiment, but it appeared to have a positive effect in at least some cases. <laughs> well, yeah. l- let me ask you one question about the flu vaccine. Obviously, if we have people who are thinking about getting pregnant, who are listening and thinking, I want to lower my risk of getting the flu as much as possible and getting the flu vaccine, that that's one question. But what about getting the flu vaccine while you're actually already mm-hmm. pregnant when a lot of vaccines have um, heavy metal adjuvants in them so that you do develop a strong immune response when you get them. Uh, is that provoked immune response a risk factor for the developing fetus, like the immune response you'd get from the virus itself? Well, I think the, the CDC in the U.S. is very, very, very clear that they don't think that this is a worry. They rely on um, uh, quite a large number of studies saying that getting vaccination during pregnancy is is safe. But those studies <clears throat> didn't really look at um, schizophrenia or autism outcome because those, those are older studies. Um, I think it's the first thing to say, as you said, it's, it's, it's not good to get the flu while you're pregnant, at least not to get a bad flu while you're pregnant. So you want to avoid it at, as much as possible. Um, I don't think the evidence is, my own opinion is, the evidence is completely clear that vaccination is totally safe during pregnancy. It would depend on the person's response to vaccination. I mean, some people respond very negatively to getting vaccinated. That is, they, you know, they they might get a fever, they might have to go to bed and so on. That's a a minority of people, of course. Most people aren't really affected at all by vaccination, so they would be, presumably they would be perfectly fine. But but we find in, in experiments with animals, such as mice and rats, for instance, and in some cases in monkeys even, that um, just um, stimulating the mother's immune system is enough to give the offspring uh, behaviors that look like schizophrenia or autism. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you, do you have a, a website, Paul, that if people are interested in learning more, um, they could go to or resources yeah. you'd point them to? Yeah, sure. It's, uh, it's infectious behavior, all one word, dot wordpress. That's one word also, dot .com. And, and are there any um, studies going on right now of fetal origins of adult disease that you're particularly looking forward to the outcomes of? Um, <clears throat> I'm looking forward to uh, some very large studies, epidemiology studies, going on in uh, Scandinavian countries on the effects of uh, flu and other infections on, on the offspring. There's also some uh, animal studies that, uh, for instance, we're, uh, we've submitted for publication, and then there's also uh, a couple of studies that are being done <clears throat> even looking at uh, preventing or modulating immune status by using um, worms injecting people with um, particular kinds of flatworms or hookworms, eggs, which are temporarily, the organisms are temporarily present in the gut, and then that modulates the immune system also. And that's, being, that's going to be studied in autism as well as it's being studied uh, in very large studies on uh, colitis, inflammatory bowel disease, and 
even in multiple sclerosis. Huh, that's fascinating. It was great having you on Health Watch today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for for calling. Yeah, uh, we were talking today with Paul H. Patterson, the author of Infectious Behavior, Brain Immune Connections, and Autism, Schizophrenia, and Depression. And I'd I'd highly recommend this book to all of our uh, science r- readers out there. Um, and if if you want to listen to any of Health Watch's previous shows, or you missed part of today's show or you want to subscribe to Health Watch as a podcast, you can now do so at drnaiman.com slash healthwatch, D-R-N-A-I-M-O-N dot com slash healthwatch. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine. Next up is the Health and Healthcare Forum with host Roberta Hall presenting an interview with six attendees at the annual Oregon Public Health Association meeting held in early October.